Welcome to Prophecy Countdown with author and pastor Kenneth Baer. Join us every week for the latest updates on what the Bible has to say about the events, the characters, and prophetic signs of the return of Jesus Christ and His coming kingdom. Make sure you not only subscribe, but like your favorite episodes and share it with your friends. Now, on with the broadcast. Welcome to Prophecy Countdown. We provide two updates each week on this channel. On Sundays, our messages premiere at 1 p.m., and then on Wednesdays, our prophecy updates premiere at 11 a.m. Now, the title of my message today is Rebuking Jesus, and we'll be that's right, rebuking Jesus. And we'll be talking about how Jesus told his disciples he was going to die, um, be crucified, and that didn't sit too well with Simon Peter. Now, as the name of our podcast implies, our podcasts typically have a prophecy thread. We love answering questions, particularly related to, to prophecy. If you have a question about the Bible or on prophecy, we'd love to, to hear from you. My email is prophecycountdownpodcast at gmail.com. That's prophecycountdownpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be glad to respond to you. And that's actually how we get a lot of our topics, particularly for our Wednesday broadcast. Now, today we're back in the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been doing this for about a year. We're going through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Today, we're picking it up again in chapter 16, and today, today this is only three verses, but it's a, it's a fascinating passage of the Word of God that we'll be unpacking. We're looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. It's just three verses, and yet they are, they're profound and actually illuminating if you just allow the Lord to speak to you through the Scriptures. Now, beginning in verse 21, let me read it to you, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things uh, from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it for you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, it's this last statement, this verse, this uh, statement in verse 23, that's where we're going to spend most of our time today, where, Peter, where Jesus says, You are not mindful of of the things of God, but the things of men. You know, as we read the Bible, the one truth that becomes apparent is that God has a plan. It's God's plan. It's not man's plan. This is what Jesus is referring to when he told Peter that he was not mindful of the things of God. You know, Jesus articulated the plan of God in verse 21. He said, uh, it, says, it says, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests, and be killed and be raised on the third day. That was the plan. That was God's plan. Don't rebuke Jesus for God's plan. Now, we can believe it, we can read the scriptures, we can recite the Apostles' Creed, and we find that Jesus died under the hands of Pontius Pilate and that he was buried in a tomb and rose on the third day, and that's God's plan. We may not understand it, but it's God's plan. It's actually God's thing, and that's what Jesus said. Peter's, Peter, was, Peter wasn't mindful of the 
things of God, but the things of man. I like that because so often we don't even bother to think. We're just thinking about things. You know, the glorious plans and purposes of God are, are actually juxtaposed, which means they're contrasted versus the things of man. Now, of those two, guess which one is better? You know, God is, is holy, he's just, he's all-knowing, he's merciful, and he's known by his love. Man, however, is sinful, unjust, limited in both knowledge and wisdom, and is known actually to be unloving. Now, we've been, been created in the image of God, but my friends, we are not God. This is the one of the biggest problems we face today. People want to be their own gods. It, it wasn't like this, actually, in the ancient past. When you really think about it, this whole idea about being your own god, no, everyone in the ancient times had a god. Uh, anthropologists will tell you that. They'll tell you that in every society on the earth, when they take a look at what they believed and how they acted and what their culture was about, they all had a god. These were false gods, typically pagan gods, and they were carved out of wood and ivory and stone, um, but they had a god. When uh, Moses, remember Moses, when he went up to uh, the top of Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments, this is what God told him. God told him about the Ten Commandments, and the very first was like this. It said, you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol or likeness of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You should not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You know, if we read the Old Testament, we find out that the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Babylonians, all of these ites, as well as the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, they all had gods. The people had a choice of whom to serve, but they all served a god. Now today, many of our friends, our neighbors, and actually some in our families, they want to be their own god. They want to live their own rule by their own rules. They want to determine what is right and wrong. Morality to them is not determined by the Ten Commandments or what the Bible has to say or literally what anybody has to say. They wanted to determine what is appropriate. You know, a few years ago, you're maybe like me, it was the first time I heard the word woke. Have you heard that, woke? I remember hearing it for the first time. I didn't have the slightest idea what people were talking about. Well, it has to do with cultural relativism and social justice. Now, if you really take a look at it, these woke pronouncements that are made are the things of man. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about. They often stand in sharp contrast to the things of God. For example, God tells us in the book of, of Micah, what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? My daughter was around eight years old. I remember her memorizing this verse. I remember her quizzing her on this verse. I think to this day, uh, you can ask her this verse, and she'll remember to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You see, that's God's plan for what we call today social justice. Now, what do the proponents of woke ideologies promote? Well, first of all, it's all about, it's all over the map, really, when you think about it. it there's almost no symmetry at all 
to these woke individuals. Just a few examples of what I've heard just recently, for example, is, and you know this too from what they say, they say that genders are not just male and female, but gender is a, a spectrum. There are dozens of ways to describe your individual gender ident identity. You know, we, they have this acronym, LGBTQIA+. And it's that plus sign that tells you a lot. Because a plus sign means that they're encouraging more gender dysphoria. They've already taken a large portion of the alphabet, haven't they? LGBTQIA. That's a good portion of the alphabet. Um, and it's all based on, on depravity. And they want to take even more. Now, woke is a, a great example of not being mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. This is, again, what Jesus told Peter. You know, I saw a definition of woke, and I liked it, so I wrote it down. It's pretty good. Uh, woke would stand for willfully overlooking known evil. Get that? Willfully overlooking known evil. This is people deciding not to follow the things of God, but to make up for themselves. They want to be their own God. So let's move on. Let's get back to the scripture, or as one of my friends says, get back to the sermon that's already in progress. You see, Jesus rebukes Peter for thinking like a man, for saying the very thing that most of us would have been thinking. And the, and the, the thought is, why would Jesus have to die? Why would Jesus have to go to the cross? You know, I've heard many harsh sermons um, on this passage, uh, mar very harsh sermons on Peter, how irresponsible he was, how he deserved to be called Satan, and, he, and actually he wasn't much of a leader in the early church. But that's wrong. That's, that's, that's wrong thinking when we realize who Peter was and, what, and who he was as far as one of the apostles. He, Peter wasn't the devil. In fact, Peter was just like us. I think I relate to Peter more than any of the other apostles. He, he always put his mouth engaged uh, before his brain was engaged, uh, his mouth engaged before his brain was engaged. You see, here's the thing. God's plans are not our plans. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, you ought to memorize this. Isaiah says this, he says, this is the Lord speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, men don't think like God. That's why, you know, when we pray, when Jesus taught us to pray, one of the lines in the Lord's prayer is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the Lord's will that we want, not our will. We don't know God's plans, but they're not only mysteries, but they are, they are glorious. Peter's mistake is a great illustration for us. It really is. Often what doesn't seem to make sense to us makes perfect sense if we really knew God's ultimate plan. You know, there's a, there's a verse in Romans chapter 8 that perhaps, like me, you struggle with. It's Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the, the New King James. It's what I learned. It's what I memorized. And I have trouble with that verse. I have found recently that the NIV, as well as a few other English translations, translate the verse a little differently. Here's what Romans 8.28 says in the NIV. 
It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Can you see the difference? You can see the difference between all things working together for good and in all things God works for the good. I like that. I like that a little better. Maybe you do as well. Now, is the NIV translation of this verse a good one? I, I don't know. I'm not a, a Greek scholar. I'm really not. I took two semesters of Greek, but I am certainly not a scholar. But I trust the NIV translators. I trust that they're not trying to pull a fast one. They're trying to do their very best to give us an accurate translation of the text. But here's the bottom line. Often, we don't understand what God is doing. All of these things that happen to us, the Bible says God's working somehow for our good. And the thing we need to trust is that God is good. God is a good God, and he wants good things for us. We're not necessarily, we're not God, that's for sure. Whether we do good things or not, we are certainly not God. Man is created in his image. God gave us intellect, he gave us purpose, he gave us provision, but ultimately our wisdom is limited. I think the best thing to understand is the saying, God's got this. You know, this is especially true as we look to the Bible, especially when we look at prophecy, as we get closer and closer and closer to the time that Jesus will return, to the time that we'll hear the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. Now, the book of Revelation identifies a number of characters, events, and judgments that we can only understand from our human experience. And our experience and our perspective is limited. You know, I teach regularly, if you're, if you're a, a follower of this channel, if you see my sermons, if you follow us regularly, uh, you know that I teach from the, uh, from the Bible, especially on the book of Revelation and prophecy, often. And I try my level best to take what the Bible says and provide a, a narrative, a context, so that we, we understand it, we understand what we read. However, my perspective, like yours, is, is limited. God is going to do what God is going to do. Now, that being the case does not give us a reason, a license to be uninformed. You know, God gave us 27 books in the New Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament. That's 66 books, and they're all sacred scripture. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. So let me leave you pondering for a moment that very first verse that I read. Verse 21 of the 16th chapter of Matthew. I'll read it again for you. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. You see, my friends, that Jesus suffered and died for your sins. He paid the price that you couldn't possibly pay. Now, Peter didn't understand it at the time. We have the ability to be able to read the scripture and see how that fits in with all of the teachings of Paul and all of the teachings in the New Testament, how that works for our good. See, Jesus rose from the dead. And he rose when he rose from the dead, it didn't not only showed that he was God, the grave could not hold him, but he also showed us the way. The Bible says that we too 
will rise. Did you know that? That's what we're looking forward to. The Apostle Paul assures us it will happen. He says in 1 Corinthians, it will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. You see, my friends, in all things, God works for the good. Just repeat after me, God's got this. His ways are higher. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to take a look at this, this simple rebuke by Peter that ended up turning Jesus to rebuke Peter as well. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your ways are higher than our ways. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that at some time in the future, Lord, you will uh, send your angels, will hear the, the, the trumpet sound, and we'll be caught up together to be with you. And we give you the praise and the glory for that. We don't understand it perfectly, but we believe it. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Nearly every day, it's common to see, read, or hear something about the end of the world, the apocalypse, or end times. Author and pastor Kenneth Baer's The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom zooms in and breaks down biblical prophecy as it relates to Jesus' imminent return and the coming seven-year period, including the Great Tribulation. Available in both paperback and Kindle versions. Get your copy on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble and select Christian bookstores. The title again is The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom. You can also find it listed by author Kenneth Baer. Get your copy today. Thank you for joining us on Prophecy Countdown with Pastor Ken Baer. Don't leave without first sharing the latest episode with your friends. Be sure to join us again for the latest updates on Prophecy Countdown.